Today I'm talking to Steve Tilley, who amongst other things is a professional, well not a professional, a winning successful better on the spreads uh, since 2006, Steve. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right off then. So how much, uh, if you don't mind telling us, how much have you won in that time? Uh, around about 280,000. Okay, so over that period. Okay, so were you a successful conventional punter before you got into spreads? Good God, no. Uh, <laughs> no, I wasn't very good at it. Um, I, I'm one of these people who I could make a bit of money, but it would be on odd bets rather than on anything serious and systematic. Every time I tried to be serious and systematic, I was no good at it. I'm totally frank about that. Okay, so why did you, um, you know, what tempted you in to try spread betting? How did you discover it in the first place? Um, I was on an email group from uh, a magazine that existed a while back called Smart Sig, um, who were a group of bettors. And one of those guys did spread betting. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, all right, well, let, let, let's try that then, because it didn't look that difficult which actually shows how ignorant I was, because it is actually a little more difficult than I thought it was. But I was very lucky at the start. I had a couple of uh, couple of reasonably good good starts to it, and it went actually quite well. So I just sort of carried on, really. Okay, so you said you had a lucky start. I mean, when did you actually have a winning year the first year you did it? No, uh, not in total, but I had enough strikes in there to, to make me think, well, actually, if I was halfway sensible and thought about this, I'd actually get a little bit farther. Um, it was really helpful at the time that was the spread betting firms had an introduction that you had a stop loss on your bets, so that um, if you were a new better, you were limited on how much you could lose, which, when you start off, was really helpful. But again, I started off on little stakes when I started and just played with it and worked my way through. So would you would you say that you had a, a costly apprenticeship? Not a costly one. Um, the costly bits, funnily enough, have come later when I've actually tried betting with bigger stakes. Uh, that, that's when, when you, you, you start to realise that uh, you, you need to think about things really carefully. Okay, so is it, I mean, do you have a job now or do you do this for your to pay your bills um i was previous to this i was uh, an optician and i worked full-time at that um, and this provided a very useful one you can see the amount um sort of side stream of money um which i used whoops uh side stream of money which i used um it it went well. Um, I'm not a professional now. I'm retired, but it still provides a nice little income for me. Okay. So, what do what do spreads offer you? You say you were no good as a conventional punter. So, what do spreads offer you that fixed odds don't? Okay. Well, the simplest thing is that um, when you're betting on horses, clearly you want to know what wins. You've got to find the winner. You need that winner. I don't. I don't care what wins. I'm just interested how far it wins by, or I'm interested in what price it is, whether it's a long-priced horse or a short-priced horse. So it's a totally different, it's a different attitude. It takes some of the stress away from that side, from the selection side of things, and then gives you it back in terms of how much money you can win and lose. Well, I was going to say, you know, I'm not really, uh, I've never done spread betting, but I've been doing my research as I always do before I have an interviewee. And it seems like a bit of a hair raising experience if you've got it wrong. 
But if you've got it right, of course, you can just sit there and... The biggest difference between spread betting and ordinary betting, and this applies to football, what cricket, racing, whatever you do, you are paid by how right you are. So if the more right you are, the more you get back. Conversely, the more wrong you are, the more wrong, the more money you lose. So, you know, you, you might say, take a football match. You might say, Tottenham Hotspur, Crystal Palace. There we go. I think Spurs are going to win that game. You could get paid out more on a spread bet if Spurs win 5-0 than if they win 1-0. Whereas on a football bet, you'll get paid, you'll get paid the same for Spurs winning. And is that something that attracts you? Do you like being right? Is it, is it yes, something like being love. rewarded? <laughs> yeah, I like being rewarded. You know, who doesn't? I mean, you know, if I can, if I can predict something, I mean, that's the point, isn't it? I'm trying, to predict, I'm trying to predict something. The other thing with spread betting is, because of the way it works, you have buyers and sellers. I am competing not necessarily against the spread firm, but against the other people on the other side. So I might say, right, um, winning distances today at Lingfield are going to be quite short. But there's some other bloke somewhere else in the country who's saying, ah, look at them runners at Willingfield. That's going to, they're going to be long winning distances today. And he's going to go for buying. I'm going to go for selling. Happy days. I take his money if I'm right. He takes my money if I'm wrong. Okay, That's then to be, sorry to interrupt, uh, to be, as successful as you have been, and I don't think anybody can sniff at 280,000 over the, those years. Do you specialize in anything or are you a jack of all trades? I specialize. Um, I specialize in the 98% of my bets are horse race SPs. I'll explain that a bit later on what it is uh, horse race winning distances, horse race second to third distances, which is a which they offer, which is quite a good one. Um, and those are the main ones. I also do long-term football bets. That they they provide quite a useful they provide quite a useful thing. But they're long-term bets over a season rather than as a one-off on a game. Okay, so you're making it sound fairly simple. But how much work go into a potential bet before you actually strike that bet? And do you even call them bets? Yeah, I, you can call them trades or bets. I'm, I'm happy. I'd, I'd be happy either way. Um, I regard them as bets because that's how I was brought up. But they're trades, effectively. Um, in terms of working it, so what I would do in a day, so what I've done today, this morning, because you're interrupting me right in the middle of this. Um, Sorry about this, that. <laughs> so so in, the, um, in the morning, fill in the race details into a spreadsheet. So you're looking at the race. How far is it? What course is it at? How many runners does it have? Then when you've set all that up, so you've got the rate, you've got the meeting there. You then look at the races. Um, I use Proform to I use Proform. There are other obviously racing databases available. I get on well with Proform, it works well for me. Um, and you can look at the races, you try and get an idea of the shape of the race. Is this going to likely to be won by something bolted away, or is it likely to be a close, ri- close race tactical affair? What's the going like? All these things, you try and put them all together and try and get a picture of what's going on. Plus, you've also got a historical database of what's happened there previously that you bring into play as well. Uh, Portal, 
Yes, carry on. Carry no, carry on, Steve. Sorry. Put all those things together, and then what you try and do is make up a quote yourself. So you try and get an idea. Say I was doing SPs today at Leicester. Leicester's racing today. SPs at Leicester. I've rough, I've worked out that my estimate of the winning SPs at Leicester today is thirty-two. Okay, so I've worked that out. I then go and look at the spread firms who are just about putting their prices up now, and have a look. So, if the spread betting firms are offering me to sell that at thirty-four, then that's a good bet for me. I would sell because I think it's going to be thirty-two. They think it's going to be thirty-four. I'm going to sell, so I would go down. If they were offering it at, say, 25 to buy, well, I, a 32, 25, yeah, that's going to be a buy. So I need to know, so my first thing is to get a value of what I think it's going to be, then see what the spread bet firms do. Sometimes I can go a whole day without a trade because the prices I work out and the prices they put up are the same, pretty much. Now, now your past results that you're looking at, you take them on face value or you do go deeper for example if uh leicester today in previous years you know that the, the average was on the 30 odd lengths and then do you look into it to see if anything's fallen at the last when it was clear or you know any anomalies do you sort of go that deep yeah i find generally that doesn't actually help me um i've i've looked at this because i used to flag meetings where i watched it or looked at it and seen that something had happened and oh look yeah that should have been closer but for or that should have been further apart but for um but when i then went back over that and tried to put those in didn't actually provide me with any extra real help it wasn't it wasn't showing me a, a great key to things but it might show a key to someone else. I, I'm not that great at race reading. Uh, you know, there are guys out there who are far better at me at reading races. Um, and they could perhaps extract more from that. Okay, so this is my a question I've got in my mind here. Everybody's looking at the same figures. So the guys that are creating the, the, the spreads in the first place are looking at the same figures as you. They've all got the same historical document. So what gives you the edge over them? two things um firstly i think i've got the right mix of things to put together which they ne don't necessarily have and also i can spend a little bit more time on it than they can if you go to a spread betting site and look at a meeting you will find probably a hundred different markets priced up for, for a given meeting including jockeys trainer jockeys winning distances winning cloth numbers the performance of the favorites etc plus you've got match bets between individual horses that you can spread bet on so these guys have got to put all those up i only do two or three there's a book by a guy called jim slater called the zulu principle basically if you're an expert on one small area you're probably going to do better than than the average their general purpose these guys the traders are very good but their general purpose i'm a specialist and that's that that's how it works another factor which you need to bring in is a bit like ordinary bookmaking when you particularly when you first put the prices up in the morning if you think because a horse has been tipped in the paper and because you think ah people are going to think this way you're going to shorten that price up that horse up when it goes up but you're going to lengthen something else out. And it's a bit like that with me. If they look at a meeting, for example, where the ground's very heavy, 
there aren't many runners, there's a couple of novice chases, they're going to think winning distances, we definitely do not want those too low because people are going to come in buying them. So they push the price up. So if I'm sitting there wanting to sell, happy days. They're, they're giving me that, they're giving me the option. It's much more risky selling, and I'll talk to you more about that later if you want, the difference in way you deal with things. But that's how it works. So sometimes the market determines what the price is rather than the traders. Okay, now how many times a week would you put hours and hours of work in? You've come up with your figures, and so have they. The exact the same. There's nothing there for you. So how many times would that happen? There's no bet. Very rarely during a whole, very rarely for a whole day. Um, basically, today is a Friday. I have 18 potential markets. There's six race, there are six race meetings, three different sets of bets I can have on those. I've got 18. Um, I will probably I'd be very, very rare not to have anything at all. Sometimes you're down to one or two and they lose. You know, that's that's part of life. Some days you'll have a, a meeting where you'll have lots and lots of bets. Um, perhaps a Saturday when you've got match bets and things, you do a lot more. All right, Steve, I'm guessing that, as with me, uh, a lot of people are sort of curious about spread betting, but haven't really taken a plunge. Can you sort of explain your thinking behind some of the markets? You've mentioned the SPs and, you know, just give us a rough guide of distances, SPs, anything else you bet on all right i think when when you come by this because i mentioned before i wasn't that great a better at, at ordinary betting but i did know a bit about horse racing so start with something you know start with a sport you know that that's the first thing so you you have got some background in it and what you want to do the ones i've chosen are very simple ones in one respect that what you do for example for the sp betting you have to say what the total SPs for a meeting are. So these are bets added to get these, these bets are added together. Okay, so if you have a six to one winner in the first race, four to one winner in the second race, etc., add them all together, you get an answer. That's a really good thing to be betted on um, because where you've added all these things together, you reduce the, the variation. So, for example, you might be wrong on the first race you predicted it to be four to one it's actually eight to one but then the next race where you predicted it five to one an even money an even money favorite goes off so at the end of the day you come together it's easier to do spread betting on a single event is harder because you've got a much wider range of results to, to come from you've got you're much more at the risk of things going strangely wrong one race it could be run by a short head it could be won by 30 lengths by the way, you are limited in national hunt racing. Certainly, 30 lengths is a maximum. So one firm, SpreadX, does a bet where you can bet up to 99 lengths if you think you've got a big enough, you've got a horse that's going to win by a lot. So find something you know about to start with and have a look at the quotes and try and see just yourself. Does that seem sensible to you? Does that seem a, a reasonable thing? And if it's not seeming reasonable, okay, let's look at it. You can go into the more refined bits. And yes, you can build up databases. You can do all sorts of things. But often, just, but sometimes just looking at it, just going through it yourself, what's likely to win the race. A good, um, another one that they do, which is quite a nice one, is on how many favourites are going to win in a given day on a given meeting. 
which you can do as a spread bet. That's quite an interesting one because you can look through the list of favourites quite easily and go, well, that what you know, what's likely to be favourite, which is another, you know, you don't you have to check that. Is this a good favourite? Is it a bad favourite? What are the firms going to think? And you can put together quite sensible thoughts about that. Okay, so you've uh, other things you bet on cricket and football. Yeah, um, football. I can do that one for you. I do long-term spread bets, which are on how many points a team is going to get through the season. And I'll probably do um, sort of a couple in each of the English divisions, and it runs all season. There's a certain amount of um, thing, uh, thoughts in the betting field that long-term bets aren't a great plan because you're tying your money up, which you are. You know, you're putting your money in. I've done two. I did two this year. One which was selling Sheffield United points. Sorry, Sheffield Wednesday points. And the other one was buying Luton points, both of which are doing quite nicely. Thank you. But you can bet a bit more on those because I'm betting £50 a point. That's my, my size bet on those. But you can bet more on those because basically there's going to be less variation at the, the end of the season. They're not going to be hugely different from what the spread betters say, unless the team has a real disaster or goes absolutely brilliantly. For example, when Leicester won, you'd have made a fortune, uh, you know, betting on doing a spread bet on that. So I think they were forecast about 40 odd points, 45 points for the season. And obviously they won it. And you'd have made a huge amount. So what would you what would you base your football bets on what i do with football bets that one is a bit of a mathematical model now some of my stuff is mathematically modeled in the sense that you can take a database and compress it down into effectively some laws so you can look at it and that's what i do that's what i do for the football and i try and find where the spread betting firms have got it wrong or where they've put where they've got them on and that can happen because again as i said before about the markets if people, people like to buy football spread bets because quite often they support the team. So, you know, I've got a friend who bought Villa points this, this season at 39 and a half. He's doing very nicely. You know, he's doing really well on that bet. It's probably, I think it's about 18 or 19 points ahead at the moment. So that's 18 or 19 times back his stake he's going to get. Okay. I mean, he can trade out now if he likes, which is another thing you can do, but um no that is so my one is on is on on model but just do what oops there we are just do what you feel works are you um for want of a better word a bit of an anorak do you collect data and make yes. a lot of spreadsheets and, and is that an important tool on top of pro yes. Uh, I mean, yes if you're going to do it seriously you need the data because you, you can't, uh, and also it's a question of accessing it. It, it, it. Proform and all the other databases are really good, but it takes a long time, for example, to go through and look at all the winning distances at Leicester for the last five years on it. Whereas if you've got those, if you've got that accessible in on a computer, in another form, in a spreadsheet or whatever, if you've got that accessible and you've done all the working out, it just brings it up for you. So it's, it's a way of accessing the data. Now, now if you're looking back at uh, past results at a meeting, is, is there any sort of logic to, to how important they are? I mean, if you've got the, the results for the last 20 years of the Holden Gold Cup, for example, 
would that actually have any bearing on this year? Mm, right. Individual races, other than certain things like the Grand National, aren't a lot of help um, because things can change. They can, and you, you have to spend time trying to track them down as to what course they were run on sometimes. Never mind worrying what distance they were run at, what the going was, you know, was the going what it was. I wouldn't worry about an individual race. Though this, we're just coming up to Cheltenham. Most of the firms are doing bets on winning distances at Cheltenham, winning SPs at Cheltenham, etc. So, you know, yes, you can look at do specialist things like that. But looking back over one meeting, um, I particularly laugh at the little tables you get in the, the racing post and things telling me that, that seven-year-olds have got a huge chance of winning because they've won eight out of the last ten races at a particular course over a particular distance, whatever. You know, it, it's sometimes those statistics aren't worth what they're... They well, there's people that would disagree with you on that, Steve. Very clever I'm people. Sure that, I'm, sure that, I'm sure they do. And if they could make money out of them, happy days. But a lot of the time, it, it, it's a field space. It, it's convenient. Yeah, it's all about opinion. So the, um, you've already explained how your day pans out. I mean, you know, a, a lot the spread betting is hard enough for anybody to work out what might win. Now, you've already covered it a bit. Without having to predict how far they're going to win and what price they're going to win at. I don't have to know what's going to win. I don't is have that, to know. Is that what makes it easier for you? Yeah, I don't care what's going to win. One of the great delights is going to a race meeting with my friends. So I, I, I like going racing um, when, when we can, obviously. Um, and you're going with your friends. And um, I am frantically cheering on the third horse because I've done second to third distances and I really would like him to catch up, please. Or my favourite, which I have, my favourite one, is when you're cheering home a 66 to 1 outsider which is coming up because you've bought SPs. And this is absolutely wonderful because you can be open and older in this thing and everyone's looking at you going, why is he back that? Why the hell has he backed that horse? And I haven't backed it particularly. I just want any long-priced horse will do me. You know, this, this one's there. Like, let's cheer him up. Right, if you go in the second and third distances, now tell me a bit about that. How on earth do you come up with an accurate figure on those okay. bets? Second to third distances, it, most people shy away from it. And I try and explain to my friends, I'm doing second to third distances. And they look at you as if you've just, you've, you've gone completely mad. It isn't. Races, quite a lot of races, if you look at them, just, just watching races, quite a lot of races, you get races where two horses will go off at the start, toward, get, get into the finishing straight, two horses will go off, the rest of them... They sort of decide really that they're not going to catch these first two and they steady up behind. So you, you, you have a tendency of getting wide gaps sometimes. Conversely, you can get races where you get a blanket, where you get three or four horses coming over the last together. You get blanket, you get blanket finishes. The key point is there's quite a wide spread of things that can happen with second to, with second to third distances. That is also, whilst it's a bit of a threat in that you can get it badly wrong, you can also get it very, very right. Um, and it's a good source of get it, getting an income because it's something you can bet on that's got a nice a nice variation to it. If you get on the right side of it. Just to put it in perspective, um, on my sell bets, so I have when I'm doing my selling bets, so I'm selling SP, selling winning distances, selling second thirds, I have to be right 60% of the time. If I'm right 60% of the time, I will make money. 
That's all I got to do. I got to be right 60% of the time. Not 100%, 60%. Okay, so, so yeah, carry on, sorry. No, no, it, and, and so you've got, but that is quite hard. I'm sorry, you know, if you look at professional spread bettors uh, or professional gamblers in America, they reckon if you can get 60% of your bets correct, you're backing the winner on, backing the winner there, you're doing well. Okay, now, so you've, you've been doing it for years. You've got your, your pro form, you've got your spreadsheets, you've got all your data, you're very intelligent sort of fellow. You've worked it all out. Now, do you still get emotionally involved is this something where you're going to still sit in front of the telly screaming one home or are you a barney curly that doesn't even really need to watch it um i don't cheer horses home on the television because um I, i'm not there uh, one of the funniest sights at cheltenham i've ever seen was in the offices before racing started of a guy screaming a horse home on a virtual race course uh, at 20, he had it at 21, but he was shouting at home. No, I don't cheer him on at home. I will cheer them on the race course, quite happily, um, but not at home. But yes, I do get involved sometimes. Generally, it's frustration when you think you've got it right and then one falls at the last or something goes wrong. Um, you can really get it wrong. Um, there are some spectacular, one of my ones which do go wrong is, for example, with Low Sun. I have a particular hatred of Low Sun because all of a sudden they take half the fences out of a race. That has a big effect on winning distances and even and on SPs because different horses, you know, you, you've got more chance of an outsider winning if you haven't got so many fences. So, yeah, a lot of frustration more than uh, cheering wildly home. Okay, so the, the, if you've, so you've got all your facts and your figures, you've got all your bets, but in the scenario where you would never allow to watch it, would you still do it to make money? Uh, if you couldn't watch it, would that take away the appeal? I could do it. With, I could do it because it would be virtue. I would, but it would be a bit disappointing because I like to see what's going on. I'm interested in racing. I've followed racing since I was a kid, um, from being taken to the point to point when you were about eight. Um, and yes, we managed to bet when we were about eight and ten. We could go up to the bookmakers at a point to point, don't tell the gambling commission. Um, <laughs> and you started off then, and that's what you did. Yeah, the views of the interviewee are not necessarily that of the publisher, I'll point out there. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, Steve, I'd like to I, I confess I've done like I said, I've done my research on spread betting, but even now when you're talking about buy and sell, I'm trying to think, oh, is that which ways which? Can you give us an idiot's guide in inverted commas on okay. how you spread bets? Tell somebody that doesn't know, like me, just go through the bare bones of it. How, how does it work? And treat us as people that do not know. Right. Let's take a very simple spread bet, which is a football one, because that's a really easy, easy one to do. Let's go back to our, say, Tottenham Crystal Palace bet. The spread firms will give you a quote on the goal supremacy. How much, in this case, Tottenham, because they're favourites, are going to win by. And they'll give you a quote of, for example, 0-1. Two numbers, 0 and 1. 0 is the selling price. So if you think that Tottenham are going to not do so well against Palace, that's the number you look at. We'll come back to that one. 
The other number, one, is the buying price. So that's where you would buy Tottenham to beat Palace. So let's say you think Tottenham are going to beat Palace and you buy at one. What does that mean? Well, it works on the number of goals Tottenham beat Crystal Palace by. So say Tottenham beat Crystal Palace 3-0. Happy days. You're on the right side. You get paid out three less one because you bought it at one. So you get twice your stake back. Three minus one. Twice your stake. If they won 5-0, you get five minus one. Four times your stake back. This is what I said about being paid out. The more right you are, the better it is. And it's the goal difference you're betting on. What happens if Tottenham won 1 0? Well, you bought it at one, they won at one. So one minus one is nothing. Nothing happens. You don't lose anything, you don't win anything. Let's say that Tottenham make a mess of it and they lose 2 0. Now, their goal diff the goal difference is now effectively minus two. Take the one off that again. So you're down, down to minus three. You pay out three times your stake. So if you bought, so let's go back again. If you bought the goals at £10, if they won 3-0, you'd win 20 quid. If they lose 2-0, you lose 30 quid. And it's this potentially not quite unlimited but can be very large downside that is one of the things that people fall over with when they're spread betting you need to think about that when you put the bet on you know how you know what is realistically if it goes badly wrong how badly wrong is that going to be and, and, and that's do, what you, do you have to sit there and just watch your money drain away or is there an escape route Oh yeah, you've got an escape route. And I mean, the, for for example, let's say that at the start at the start of the game, Spurs have a man sent off in the first twenty minutes. It's still nil nil, but now you think, oh, hang on a minute, I'm not quite so confident about this now. Unfortunately, the spread firms may be the same. So now, if you want to, they will have moved the quote back down. So now, you, if you want to buy Tottenham you can actually, you can buy them at a much lower figure now because Tottenham are less likely to win. So they've only got 10 men. They're less likely to get a gold supremacy. But you can trade out. So effectively, you can buy Palace to, to do well. You'll probably make a slight loss on that. But on the other hand, it might go the other way. You might look at the game and Tottenham are 2-0 up in the first 20 minutes. The quote will have then have rocketed, have raced up so now Spurs will be at something like three and a half or four that you could get if you want to buy them at because they think they're going to get a lot more goals. You might think, actually, I've got my money now. I'll trade back out on that. And you could trade, you could trade out of that position and just lock in your profit. So what's it didn't matter to you whatever happened to the rest of the game. What's the difference between uh, doing that and trading on the exchanges then? It's the, I think the difference between that and trading out the exchanges, you're trade, when you trade on the exchanges, you're, you're trading out to a, a, fixed, a fixed return, 
you know you know what you return you know what what you're going to win exactly you've got the bet put on you know exactly what you're going to win with a spread bet you do not know exactly what you're going to win you do not know exactly what you're going to lose so you have to have a, a, an estimate of an estimate of what it was going to be looking at that from a horse racing point of view taking um winning distances for example um let's say the first two races at a meeting have gone uh, i've sold them for example and it's all gone wrong uh, the first two races have been won by distances so they pay out 30 lengths all of a sudden i'm in trouble at, at that because i've sold and already i'm at 60 it's already at 60 i might have sold it at 50 so already i'm 10 points down the tubes and i've got four more races to go so then do you trade out yeah you can do so you cut your losses and say, right, the whole meeting's going badly wrong. I'm going to get out of this. And effectively, you just close your position, you buy winning distances, and you take you take the hit that you've already got. Sometimes, however, if you just sit tight, you actually end up in a better position. Because don't forget, the spread firms will have guessed what they think the final price is going to be. It just might be that you, by trading out, you end up in a worse position than you didn't. I don't trade out a lot. I'm not a fan of it, but that's because I'm not very good at it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, that's not a skill set I happen to have in, in, in running trading and things like that. I'm not good at setting it up beforehand and running with it. I can do that. Okay, so I'm assuming that uh, as the spread firms have got their built-in profit margin there, they don't mind arbors, that sort of thing. Spread betting firms and arbors is a bit of a mixed bag. Um, the ones they particularly hate, and I, I have done this, and I know because they have told me, um, when the spread betting firms put the prices up in the morning, sometimes they don't look at each other's prices. So, for example, going back to SPs at Leicester, you might have a situation where one firm has decided that it's going to be quite low, and they've offered them at sell at 27, buy at 30. The other company have decided actually, no, that's not quite right. Um, we're going to um, sell at 32 and buy at 35. Well, that means you can buy with one company at 30 and sell with the other at 32. And if you do that, you are guaranteed two points profit, whichever happens. Believe me, they do not like you doing that. They are not a fan of it because the individual firm gets a big lumpy hit because i because i know what i'm going to make i could put 100 pounds i could put a thousand pounds on i wouldn't be allowed to but you, you, you see what i mean they it, they don't like that but arbing and trading within a day yeah that's fine they're happy with that okay so you've talked about the uh the the, the markets that you do like to play in and that you've won all this money on are there any that you would avoid like the plague yes anything that involves multiplication <laughs> right <laughs> so let's take one a very simple one you can do or not simple one what you can do is um multi mules which is the winning race cloth number of the winner multiplied by the winning by the race cloth number of the second and you multiply them together and that's the score for that race and then for the whole meeting you add them together so if horse 20 beats horse 19 it makes up the 380 for a given race. If horse one beats horse two, it makes up to two. You can see there is a huge spread of things that can happen there. 
And those big spreading bets are where you can go really badly wrong. My worst ever bet, and this is probably where, and I'll tell you this one, I did a spread bet on the Grand National, um, a multiple bet, which was the winning distance multiplied by the winning SP. And I sold. And I could sell that at 100. And I thought, oh, that's good. Yeah, that's fine, because it won't be that far apart. And that would be a long winner. Um, the winner was, the winner won, I think, by 17 lengths. And it was Monmome at 100 to 1. So um, my bet, I lost 1,600 points on one bet. That's why I don't like, <laughs> I don't like multiple bets, I think. I think that one haunts me a bit. But, you know, you can get it that wrong. On the other hand, you could have got it that right. You could have bought that bet at 105 and made up 1,500 times your stake. You know, okay. if, if you bought it. So we're talking these. Uh, we're talking these potentially catastrophic losses and uh, magnificent wins. So, what sort of stakes do you play to? At the mo, um, right? Okay. So, when I was in full full betting mode, um, which was a couple of years back, which was a year or so back before I retired, so I had some money, other money coming in, which cushioned things a bit. Um, I was on about. Uh, probably it will work out over the whole day. £30 a length on National Hunt, um, £50 a length on Flat, and probably £20 a point on SPs. So now it is much, now it is less than that. I mean, now I'm, I'm down to single figure bet. I'm down to probably £15 on the Flat per length, sort of seven or £8 National Hunt, and about six or seven five or six flat you know and you still made money on that uh to clear right on those stakes i took about three grand in january okay so, so i'm i'm assuming that uh the bugbear that successful punters on the fixed odds have got i.e being restricted doesn't affect you on spread betting because it's a financial market and they're happy for people to win oh i am restricted Oh, I am restricted. Yeah, because they don't. It, seriously, it's. It, I'm not. It, some of the markets I do, as I said, I specialise. If you haven't got a very big market, you can't have me traipsing in with lumpy bets because it's just gonna. It's just gonna exaggerate the thing. Um, also, there's a certain amount with any company that uh, I think the traders have to sort of report back to marketing and accounting, and they have to flag up. I think if they've got losing if they've got betters on that they are losing with and they have to account for that so you know the accountants do have a certain amount of control over this yeah. though in one respect spread betting is a little bit better than um fixed odd betting is i can actually speak to traders i can, you can actually speak to a genuine trader you try doing that at bet 365 or any other betting company you try and speak to a trader you won't do it. You can do it. You can do it with spread betting. Okay. Now you, you talked earlier about um, you, you had a bit of a cushion when you were working. So I'm assuming that you still get losing runs Absolutely. doing what you do now. How how do you mentally cope with that? I think what you do with losing runs, the first thing to do is distance yourself from the event. You've got to take a step back. You've got to take a step back from it because you, otherwise you can get into real, real trouble if you start trying to chase your losses, 
or you start trying to change things because you think, oh my God, no, something drastic has happened. But I'll talk to you more about a drastic change that happened later on. But you have to look at this and, and, and take a step back and breathe and look back over your previous results and say, well, hang on a minute. I'm doing the same thing as I did when I made this much money. I'm doing the same thing. The results have gone against me. So be it. That's what happens. There is a certain amount of luck involved. And I think punters, betters, at all, betters as a whole, overestimate, sorry, underestimate the amount of luck involved in racing and betting. Uh, and they beat themselves up because something went wrong when it was just pure bad luck. Nothing they did, nothing wrong with their selection, their thought process was absolutely fine. Just basically bad things happen. Okay. And do you keep, uh, have you got like a, most punters have like a tank, which you keep separate for your punting activities? Yes, yeah, absolutely. You, 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 need to have, you need to have a set, you need to have that separate tank and you need to be looking to see how your bets are related to that separate tank. So that if your tank is running down, the, the thing you do not do is start increasing your stakes to try and deal with it, because that's the way to the pool house very quickly. You need to be thinking about actually rein your stakes back in a bit build your pump, build your stake back up again. Um, to put this in proportion, I started off with a bank of £6,000. That's what I started with, betting one and two pound, uh, one and two pound bets. And that, I built it up and got to there. So yeah, you, you can do it, but it's hard, it is hard work and a lot of it is attitude. You've just got, you've just got a really good attitude. Okay, Steve, at the end of the last bit, you were you were talking about sudden events. I mean, what 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 do you mean by sudden events? A good, a, a very unusual one, but an absolutely traumatic one for me was the change from on-course SPs to industrial SPs, which happened in the summer. That was an absolute bloodbath for me selling SPs. <laughs> absolutely, I actually stopped, burst. I basically stopped trading for about two months after July to let things settle down. Because I, I was, again, as I said to you before, you have to realise when, when it's you and when it's the thing. And this time it was the thing. All my models was, you know, all the results that were coming back in were saying something strange is happening here. This is not like it was. Okay, um, so you're talking about something strange happening. My interpretation of that would be when they stopped, obviously they had to stop returning the SP from on-course bookmakers because there were none there. And they're now being returned in a rather ambiguous manner from on course. Is that a fair summing up? What happened was in the first five, four or five weeks of racing coming back, which was June to sort of through June, the number of long priced winners and long prices shot through the roof. So you were getting 100 to 1 winners, 125 to 1 winners, 65, 66 to 1 winners in profusion. Um, and the figures afterwards came back, um, which I think the Horse Race Bets Forum, we dragged the figures out for that. The number of horses that won at those prices was phenomenally high. Um, and that was a correlate, I think, effect of two things. First, horses not being on the track for a while. Also, you've got some odd results, but also the industrial SP pushed out the prices of long priced horses. So, oh yeah, I absolutely caught a cold. I dropped six grand. I lost six grand in June. <laughs> okay, now you mentioned uh, horse race betters for you, you were me and you had a few sparring matches, uh, you know, online and whatever. You were quite a vocal. 
um, criti criticizer, I suppose, of racehorse bookmakers to a certain extent. Has your uh, opinion changed of them now? Um, I was, I think, on, on course bookmakers on mass are, are fine. Um, unfortunately, certain parts of them were, as we we saw when we drew the figures out, we're taking the Michael a little bit. Um, Foss Lass, and I will re-mention it again, I always do, Foss Lass were not serving their punters as well as they could do. And neither was Foss Lass Racecourse encouraging it or supporting it or not doing anything about it. And that was fine because there were other courses like Catrick, Cheltenham, who were doing wonderful work and giving the punters really good value and were doing really well. Uh, it's not something I particularly want to, you know, we want to go over now. I, it gave me the chance to meet lots of different bookmakers and be swore at by some and be unshaken by others. So it, it was quite good. And I even got a chance to be on a bookmaker's stand. So I was happy. Of course, uh, Foss, the Foss last margins have been eclipsed in recent uh, times when there, was a, when there was a gamble running up. But um, would, you say, would you say, just one more piece on this, that having now analyze the figures compacting the front end of the market seeing the, the other end of the race course sps were better value for punters than the current where they're doing it i think in a way the the on-course sps were more transparent isn't that you could actually see what were, you could actually see what was going on and i've sat with recorders when they've been doing it was one of the things i did was to sit with a recorder and learn how they did this um, they are different and the if you back and i'll be fair totally fair if you back outsiders you are better off with the industrial s if you're betting at sp you're better off with the industrial sp because they do have some really long it's a bit like backing on the old tote you know the, the outsiders but if you're backing at the front end of the market you may not be able to get that you may not be able to get such a good good margin um i think of the ideal world, if it was going to be perfect, you'd have a cross between the two. You'd have the best of both worlds for punters, but I'm not confident that that's actually going to happen. Punters are at the bottom of the heap, not the top. Okay, right. We'll go back in the spread betting. Now, what would you say was the most important and hardest lesson you've learnt as a spread betting punter? I lose. Singularly, how to lose that you can walk away from a bad day and come back the next day with the same with the same attitude as you had the first day. You you if you can do that, if you can do that to come back with the same attitude, not not trying to fight it back, not beating yourself up, but come back with the same attitude. That's the biggest. That's the single biggest thing that you can ever do. Uh, I've seen so many people go wrong because they they've panicked they've lost confidence in themselves they've started to try and do different things to dig themselves out in trouble no you've got to sit back and say that worked i've done that i know it's right i'm just going to carry on and we'll go through this but if you start yes. chasing losses you're, you're in trouble and what what's alternatively what's the, the biggest rick that the market makers make that you love when you see it uh biggest rick i think my fate uh, just to give you a rick and this was a rick um i turned up worcester Racecourse to to um go and watch got there for the first race noticed that we had some trainers wandering around the course prodding it in a rather suspicious rather unhappy manner 
I trotted off and I bought winning distances and I sold SPs like Fury. They changed the going. There were 30 withdrawals. That was the biggest rip that I'd ever got involved in. I don't think the firms were too happy with me on that one, but I got the information. I could see what was going on here. You could see these trainers prodding this ground and thought, no, they're going to start taking them out. They withdrew 30 horses out of, out of days racing. So obviously the winning distances went through the roof. Okay, now I asked, I asked some people in spread betting, and one of them's come back with a question for you. This is, uh, they want to learn off of you, Steve. Do you think that uh, spread traders overbid winning distances and SPs? Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, when they say overbid, I think they mean they set the price slightly higher. I mentioned this earlier. People are more inclined to buy than they are to sell. It's more fun buying. Let me just give you a fun bet on buying. If you buy SPs, once you've cleared the total, so say you bought SPs for the, the, the meeting at 40 points. Once you've got 40 points of SPs, effectively you have your spread bet as a win bet on every other horse that wins, every other horse that wins. That's effectively what you've got. You have a free bet on every winner at that meeting left. That's a really good feeling. I very rarely do it, but um, I've done it and it's hilarious because you can stand in the stands cheering home winners because you've already backed them effectively. So yeah, uh, but yes, so people like like buying. So the firms have a tendency to put the buy price, a tendency to move the prices a little bit more up on the buy side. But conversely, selling is a harder job. Okay, now question, for you again the um people watching these videos we've done a lot of them now and successful punters everything they say makes a lot of sense you study the form you've got the statistics you've worked it all out you've, you've, you've. but a lot of people do that and they still lose so they've got they do everything that you do but they still lose so what is the the killer sort of edge that you've got do you think that makes you the sort of person they don't really want to pick the phone up to when you ring compared to all the other people that must do their cobblers? Um, the, the, the trite answer is you've got to do it right. Um, you, you can do the same thing as me, but unless you do it right, it isn't going to work. But going away from the trite answer, I think when you're starting out, when you're doing it, when you're first doing it, and I think that the problems people get is that they, they, don't, they try and do it too quickly. It took me probably four or five years work to get into a, a proper winning, a winning way of doing things. So for the first four or five years, I was scratching around, but I still had to have the confidence that what I was doing was actually getting me where I wanted to go. The other problem you get is that it's easy to get sort of 80% skilled at something. If you work a bit harder, you can get 90% skill back. But it's that last, going from 90 to 99% is a lot, a lot of work. Because they always say this, you need 10,000 hours in to be proficient at something. Whatever your skill set is, you need to put 10,000 hours in. And you do have to put the time, you do have to put the time in. And I think that that's the thing. And it is just, it's not difficult. It's just looking at what works and saying, right, that didn't work, okay. I'm going to give it a bit longer, but eventually you just have to go back and say, well, actually, I've tried that and it doesn't work, right? Let's go back again and try something else. And even revisit old ideas that you thought actually didn't work, that when you go back over and you think, well, actually, yeah, that does work. 
just think about it and use your imagination a bit what are because it's no good doing what everyone else does that's that you know that applies to any form of betting if you just back the favorites if you back what everyone else does you're not going to do any good but if you can find that edge that little niche that little special bit that you can work with you're away okay so somebody's watching this now that, that this is where you educate people somebody's watching it um which would be the best market to dip your toe into if you're a novice total novice but you want to get involved okay there, there is one if you're already betting on horses so let's say you're already betting on horses already they do match bets now what a match bet is they will pick two horses in a race and they will put them together so let's say um they say take two horses together and they will give a spread which is the distance in length between them and you have to bet which of those two horses is going to finish in front can be any don't have to win the race so let's say you had Quixel, cross it and red rum in a race hypothetically i've just got two names there two of my favorite horses um you could for example look at those and you might think well red rum might do this flat race might win by four lengths so you you might want to buy that the spread betting firms have it set at two for example if it won by four you would pick up twice your stake on the other hand if it lost you would lose three or four times your stake that's the way to do it so start off with something that you know about which is horses because you know about horses you're already betting on them so you all get is pick two horses which of those two horses going to bet going to do best see how you get on with that if you can get 60 percent of those right you're actually on the start you might be on the start of something useful okay and what about pitfalls to avoid the the because we're running out of time so the worst pitfall to avoid chasing losses do not chase your losses under any circumstances have a bank keep to your stake regime don't change things too often just sit tight and work your way through and don't go on any things that multiply together because unless you're really confident the risk is going to eat you okay the, the better the betting exchanges are the are the big you know the, the elephant in the room these days with uh, punting do you think that sports spread betting has had its day or has it never really been given a big enough push it's a very, very, it's a very, very niche market and can be very difficult for, for punters to get started in. You do have to give yourself plenty of time and start off with small stakes or paper trades and go through it. It's a good way of making money. I couldn't, I couldn't have made this money on the exchanges, I don't think. Uh, I might have done, but it, it, I, I probably haven't got the mentality for it. But, you know, I think that the exchanges... You can bet on winning distances on the exchanges if you like, and you do it on fixed odds. Um, and I don't like it at all, so I stick to my spread bets. Okay, you need a few losers having bets with the spread betting company so you can get more on, I suppose. Uh, that's yeah. I mean, the spread betting firms have to try and attract people in, and that's their job. It's not my it's not my job to attract people in. It's the spread betting companies that have got to market themselves to get people to do get people to go on these markets, and that's up to them. But it, it's a good way of doing it. It's a good, I personally think it's a good way of betting because you're paid by the more right you are, the more money you get. Simple as. Excellent. And on that note, Steve Tilly, thank you very much. Thank you. Star Sports are the proud sponsors of the English Greyhound Derby. 
all part of our commitment to the sport from the home of Greyhound Racing Betting. BeGambleAware.org. Over 18 only.